This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, <coughs> fellow best. Well, that was not a great start. Good afternoon, fellow investors. This is Invest Talk. This is our Monday, January 30th, 2023 edition. I had a little something stuck in my throat. I didn't realize it until I started talking. Well, here we go. Uh, appreciate you all tuning in. And now today I want to start off with a bit of perspective as we're closing out the first month of the year. And despite a rough day today, we're likely to have a first first month where that, that is likely to surprise a lot of people. Now, it didn't really surprise me because I know a lot about kind of the short-term liquidity dynamics in the market, but it also harkens back to a very common adage that professionals have, uh, and uh, and it's a question that you always have to ask yourself, and that is, what is the pain trade? What is the pain trade? Now, what that means is, Who's going to be hurt the most by a particular move? And who will have to, who will have the most pain in that situation? Meaning they're likely forced to sell or cover a position. And when you go into this year where so many people were hurt in 2022, with their equity exposure, they came into the year under-invested. Especially where you think about all the tax loss selling that happened at the end of last year. Most people take that cash and they don't reinvest it right away. It usually takes a little while. And then you get on top of that, the headlines, which continue to talk all about the recession of 2023, without any requisite understanding of how much of that was priced in or not. And you you get a situation like you did in January, which is kind of a grind higher. And putting the most participants in the market in the most pain. Either they're forced to cover shorts. That happened a lot with a lot of the, the techier names this month, but also people chasing the market higher, thinking market was going to break down after the pullback in December. Well, the pain trade was not down. Too many people were positioned for it. And when everyone's positioned for one thing, it's very difficult for that one thing to happen. You know, you go back to 08, you know, we hadn't had a financial crisis really since 29. And no one knew all the layers of leverage underneath the system. 
And so no one is positioned for an unraveling of that. And so the lesson here is what's most obvious usually doesn't happen. Because everyone's positioned for it. It's what everyone's expecting. And then that doesn't happen. That's usually the best trade. For example, what if we don't have a recession this year? Everyone's positioned for it. Everyone's talking about it. What if we don't? And we're going to look at some of those economic numbers that says, you know, maybe that doesn't happen. Or maybe it happens later than expected. So it's one of the big reasons why headlines are terrible things to trade on. It's all priced in. Everyone knows about it. It's the it's the magazine cover. Everyone talks about Time Magazine, what's on the cover, you fade that. Right, what was it, 06 when housing was on the cover of Time Magazine? And that was pretty much the peak. Right, everyone that had bought, had bought. And so that happens a lot in markets. Remember, sentiment is like a pendulum. Think of what a pendulum does. It goes from one side to the other. Very, for a split second, it's right in the middle. But usually, it's headed in one direction or another, right? It's over, it's offsides one way or the other. And then when it becomes obvious, well, that sentiment is getting ready to go the other way. For the most pain to be felt. So remember that. Remember the pain trade. It's very important to keep in mind when you're looking at the markets, your investments, and your positioning. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here on today's radio show and podcast and help you develop portfolio strategies and make good decisions, like understanding the pain trade. So the phone lines are open for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888-99-CHART. I've got a lot of material to discuss with you today. One is... My main focus point on the January rally and what to look at as we get deeper into earnings season. This is a very busy week. If any, if you're going to have any breakout in volatility, one way or the other, maybe a breakout to the upside, maybe a breakdown, this is the week for that catalyst. Now, a lot of people are putting that on the back of the Fed meeting on Wednesday. Well, it starts tomorrow, but they make an announcement on Wednesday. We know they're going to do a quarter basis point or quarter percent, but it's more about messaging. So that is that the catalyst or is it more earnings? We're in the midst of earnings season and you have a lot and we're going to get to that data today. Time permitting else. <clears throat> also dig into the GDP numbers for the fourth quarter that came out on Friday and I want to dig into those numbers a little bit more. Also, banks are bracing for more consumer defaults. What numbers are they looking at and how might that feed into earnings? And it'll be a good lesson on how earnings are calculated in the financial services industry. Right? And then lastly, we're going to look at inflation and whether or not 
it's going to continue to keep falling. And what will that mean for markets? I also have some voice bank questions ready to play. One is on Martin Transportation and the other on PE ratio calculation. I also have some iTunes review questions as well. And my perspective looks around the real world numbers with regards to inflation going back 100 years. So we got this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk. And of course, we're taking your calls live at 888-99-CHART. Now we're heading into a quick break, and I welcome your finance and investment questions now. No questions too simple or too complex. Give Invest Talk a call at 888-99-CHART. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. With total downloads nearing 50 million, each InvestTalk podcast should be one of your key financial planning and educational tools. InvestTalk is a free download. And hosts Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to provide their unbiased guidance and professional analysis developed from real-time data research and years of investing experience. 24-7, rain or shine, during smooth sailing or on rough weather days, the Invest Talk listener line is open and waiting for your questions. You set the agenda. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy and discipline. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. We're going to go talk to Sid in North Carolina looking at Tyson Foods. Hi, Justin. Good evening. Thanks for taking the call and thanks for all the support and the guidance that you are giving. Yeah, I'm looking at Tyson. Uh, looks to me a kind of a good stock, but not sure what's the right entry point. If you could tell us that and give us any other unknowns that we may like to know. Thank you very much. Justin. All right. Looking at Tyson Foods, one of the largest producers of meats in the country. Pork, chicken, beef, and about $23 billion market cap. And what I like about Tyson is the consistency of its business. You look at cash from operations, about $2.7 billion. Now, that's down from where we were uh, late 2020, right about $4.4 billion. But it's still kind of where it was pre-pandemic. Okay, so this has kind of had that full reversion to the mean. If you look at return on equity right now, about 17%, that's pretty much on long-term averages. So I like that it's already made that round trip. And historically, it's consistently profitable. It is that has some debt, but nothing too dramatic. Trading at an enterprise value even around 5.5, which is pretty low. So... I like what you're looking at from a valuation standpoint. I do think it is cheap. Now, technically, though, it's not improving enough for me to get excited about it. But if you're looking 
longer term, these would be good. This would be a good area to pick it up in the mid 60s here. Our value is closer to $100 per share. So we do think it's undervalued. But you have to line up the technicals if you want to make money in a near term. But maybe don't worry about that. Maybe it's just you don't get cute. You think it's cheap. And you buy it. So near term, I don't love it. But longer term, I do think it is pretty inexpensive. Thanks for the call. It's Tyson Foods. Pays a nice 3% dividend. I know that doesn't sound amazing. But I love caller. I, I love stocks like this where consistently profitable. They're able to likely raise their dividend over time, and a lot of people are going to stretch for companies that pay six, seven, eight percent, and don't nearly have the quality of business that Tyson has. And their payout ratio is only twenty percent, meaning they're able to raise that dividend. So I'm going to get Tyson Foods a, thum- a thumbs up. Now let's play another caller question now. Hello, uh, my name is Michael out of uh, Nashville, and I love your show, and I would like to have your opinion on the stock Seco Mine, symbol TGB. It's a copper mining company out of Canada, and uh, I'd just like to know your opinion on that company before I invest. Thank you very much. All right. So Seco Mines, TGB is the symbol. And they are a Canadian company, but it looks like one of their main mines is in central Arizona. So that's interesting. And let's see. Yeah, so they have some within British Columbia in Canada as well as Arizona. Fairly small company, only about $500 million market cap. Historically, they've kind of vacillated between losing and making money. They're a copper miner, so they're a price taker. So it's really going to be dictated based on copper prices. So the way I look at this is a high-risk play on copper. Copper prices. Because it's going to have a very, very high correlation. And its profits will vacillate wildly based on where copper prices are. Now, clearly, they're not an amazing operator because historically, the return on equity has been, over the last five years, negative 5%. Only in very good times do they go positive. So if you're looking for the highest risk plate in the copper industry, this is probably one of them. I rather own a copper miner that is more consistently positive in their profitability, in their cash flow, and they're not... Issuing more shares to Seco has just continued to issue more and more shares. 2013, they had 191 million shares outstanding. Now they have 286 million. So, yeah, I don't like it. I'd, I'd pass. I'd just buy one of the bigger names. If you like copper, buy one of the bigger names that pays somewhat of a dividend, minimal debt, cash flow positive, etc. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions, but we love taking your live calls as well. Our number never changes and it never closes. It's Invest Talk at 888 chart One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. 
So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point is in regards to the January rally and the fact that today it paused. This was the first major sell-off day of the year, to be frank. And it was really concentrated on the growth side of the market, which was the leader for most of the year. Large cap growth down about 1.87%, whereas large cap value only down 0.92%. Now, still growth still leading for the year so far. Uh, but it was an interesting change of character. Definitely a pause from the January rally. U.S. market overall was down about 1.34%. The small caps down one and a quarter percent. Same with mid caps. So this was interesting because, like I said at the top of the show, this is a week where there's potential fireworks. Mega cap stocks like uh, Meta. And Alphabet, they were down 3% and 2.5% respectively. AMD was down 4%. And about 20% of the S&P 500 will report earnings this week. You're talking about Bellwethers, McDonald's, General Motors, Apple, Meta, Amazon, and Alphabet. All reporting later this week. And then you have the FOMC over the next couple of days. And... A big part of why the markets rallied so far this year, besides better liquidity conditions, that's certainly true. I've talked about that with uh, the debt ceiling. But a lot of it, too, is just pricing in a more dovish Fed. So will the Fed come out on Wednesday and push back on that? Because the market is almost pricing in a guarantee of only 25 basis points on Wednesday, and then a very high likelihood of only 25 basis points in March. And remember, the market always looks ahead. So when you hear of a Fed meeting coming up, odds are very low, very low, that the market is going to be surprised at whatever the Fed does. Whatever the Fed does, you could almost guarantee assume the market has priced that in. That's how well the Fed likes to communicate, either publicly or maybe behind the scenes to the market. And they don't like to surprise the market. They like to nudge the market one way or the other slowly. They don't like volatility. They don't like that instability. So that's one potential catalyst. And the other, like I said, is earnings. Earnings expectations have been coming down. But we know from the GDP number, which, we talk, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, that the economy is kind of stall, stall speed. And what type of earnings are they expecting going forward with all these layoffs. You know, a lot of these big tech, remember that the S&P is very overweight, large cap tech, 
large cap growth. And that means they make a very large percentage of the expected earnings per share on the year for the SP as a whole. So Apple, 6% of the S&P, Microsoft's 5.4. We know they laid off a bunch of people. Amazon laid off people. That's 2.6% of the S&P. You take both of Alphabet's share classes, A and C, that's three, about three and a half, three and a quarter of the S&P. So these are all big numbers that come out this week and that could drive markets one way or the other. And you're getting a bit of a snapback in some of the meme stocks over the past couple of years. Think Bed Bath & Beyond, remember? Well, they're closing a bunch of stores. The stock rallied big today. But they're still expected to file bankruptcy. And so it shows you there's still a lot of speculative fervor in these meme stocks, and the Fed doesn't like that. So maybe that's one indication that they'll hit back harder on the market's more dovish tone. And then AMC shares. They have a weird capital structure. This is one of those other meme stocks. And there's still those out there speculating on what they're going to do. And think that's the, their next key to riches. So there's still a bit of that activity out there in the marketplace. And that's why I think there's more washout to come. However, a bear market rally can last months and months. Now, in the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. What do you know? What do you need to know about Roth IRAs? You should understand contribution and income limits and the backdoor IRA maneuver and more. Steve will get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're building your financial future, but you must have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to provide their unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, Justin and Steve. Mike from Texas. Appreciate all the education you and your program provide. It's invaluable. Curious on your thoughts on Martin Transportation, ticker MRTN. It's a small market cap trucking company. It's been consistently increasing its revenue, earnings, net income, and has been repurchasing shares. Price to sales is below one and a half. Return on equity is about 16%, which is the highest it's been for the company. I do have a very small position, and I am just curious on your thoughts 
regarding Martin long-term, and if you feel the current price around $22, it's a good entry point. Thank you very much. Be listening on the podcast. All right, this is Martin Transportation, and it's a temperature-sensitive truckload carrier, so think refrigerated trucks. And it's not that big. Like you said, $1.7 billion market cap. Let's take a look at its debt here. Yeah, pretty much no debt on its balance sheet. That's good. Enterprise value to EBITDA is eight. What does it typically trade at? Yeah, it's about middle of its longer term range. So it's not particularly cheap or expensive based on that. Return on equity right now about 16.5%. Now that's higher than it historically is. So it might be over earning just a bit. Historically, that's closer to 13%. So that's one little worry. Yields at 1.1%, but the technicals are very strong. You're talking about below all the major moving averages. It, ha it is overbought near term. You're going to be able to pull back today. Uh, but getting it back around $20, $20.50, I think that would be an interesting entry point. I like it. I don't love it because I don't think it's super cheap. It's also a bit small, but I like that it has no debt. I like that if I look at earnings, it continues to kind of grind higher. Not at a drastically high clip, kind of 10, 12% per year. But I, I rather have that. I'd rather have a company that's consistently growing its business in the low teens than a company who has super high growth that vacillates wildly. And I like that it's profitable. Pays a dividend that is low but can go up. Its payout ratio is extremely low. So I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Martin Transportation, that's M-R-T-N. Now my perspective report today looks at the cost of goods then and now. Now, a lot has changed over the last 100 years, but not everything. Now, for the better part of last year, people talked all about inflation. So let's look at some real-world numbers. So we're going to go back and look at life during the 1920s. Right? We're in the 2020s, so what about the 1920s? Well, in 1920, inflation has increased Prices generally by 1,363% over 100 years. So a 30 cent gallon of gas at 2022 price equates to $4.39. So based on that, price of gas today is about the same as it was 100 years ago. I know that sounds crazy. But... Those are the numbers. Now, in the 1920s, the cost of a new car, now to vary depending on make and model, but a Chevy during the period cost about $525, which is at $7,780 today. Well, a Chevy Malibu costs about $25,000 today. Obviously, a lot more bells and whistles, right? Where gas is gas, is gas. Hasn't, hasn't really changed. But... Obviously, there's a lot more bells and whistle on, whistles on a Chevy Malibu than uh, your sh Chevy back then. Now, let's broaden the illustration. 
uh, the average cost of a new house was $6,296. The average income, $2,160. The average rent cost, $15 per month. The average movie cost, $0.15. Cents, and first class postage was only $0.02. Cents. How does that compare today? Well, if you take that same 1,363% inflation on average, a first class stamp should cost about 29 cents. A forever stamp today costs 58. So that's exceeded inflation. So, you know, these are, there's a different world back then. But inflation is just something that we're always going to have to deal with in the way that our financial system is constructed. And it's, frankly, if you're going to have fractional reserve banking, that's always going to be the case. Because banks, it's easier to pay back banks with inflated money. And banks want their money back. You go into a deflationary spiral, like 08, that's where problems arise. A modest inflationary environment, I know, 5%, 8% sounds like a lot because we just got used to two. But there's some perspective over 100 years. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. P. Chopra123 says, I was listening to your episode about various sectors. Do you think XLB is a good way to get exposure to basic materials? My portfolio is mainly ETFs. And the answer is simply, yeah. XLB is the Select Spiders Material ETF. And it's top holdings. Let's take a look at its top holdings. So you can get an idea of the type of companies that are in the material space. Uh, Air Products and Chemicals, Freeport McMoran, a big copper miner, Sherwin-Williams. That's paint. You'd think that might be industrial, but it's classified under basic materials. Uh, Nucor, a steel company in there, Newmont Mining, one of the largest gold miners, Dow, a chemical company. So, you know, you get a you get a smattering of a lot of different types of names. And I feel like basic materials is always, there's a lot of subsets within the space. You know, so that's why we like individual stocks because you get more concentrated exposure, right? So if you like copper, you're going to get some exposure by buying XLB, but not a lot. So it's good. If you don't want to do the work of finding the best within the sector, sure. That was XLB. Now let's take the time for another iTunes review. Doug in Missouri says, I own KIO. Recently received an equal number of shares of KIO. R. this seems to be some type of rights offering. What is this, and should I sell or hold the new shares of KIOR? Well, this is an interesting one because KIO is KKR Income Opportunity Fund. And this is a perfect example. You're going to see this a lot more with these private investment funds. Is They're going to find ways to raise more capital. And this is basically what this is, but they're raising it at a discount. So... You need to do basically two things. You either need to sell the rights offering that was given to you, or you need to exercise it. Now, which one you do depends on what you can sell it for, and the current price, 
and what it costs to exercise. The complexities of that, you're going to have to look into the details. Basically, from the quick view I have, is there you're going to be buying a, either a 82% discount to NAV or the higher or 92.5% of the market price. So, either way, it's going to be a discount, which means you, the shareholder, are going to be diluted. So this is not good for the shareholder, but it's a way for KKR to raise more capital. Now the question is, why are they doing this? Is it because they're getting distribution and they need to cover those distributions? I mean, it's a closed-end fund, so that's probably not it. Are they trying to just get more assets under management so that they can charge a fee and make it worthwhile to run the fund? I'm not sure. I really have to dig into it. But the main point here is that you were chasing yield in a leveraged vehicle, and now you're about to get diluted. So you either pony up some more money to get, to, to get diluted, or to not get diluted, excuse me, or you share you sell those rights for whatever you can get. Either way, not a fun situation to be in. Now let's, let's keep things moving and swing back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for this question that came in at 888.99 chart. Hi, guys. Uh, my question is regarding when you calculate ratios for companies, do you usually use the gap or non-gap? Because, you know, some of these numbers vary so much. What is your policy uh, when you do your calculations in general? Thank you. We absolutely 100% do not use non-GAAP. Non-GAAP is something I think should be illegal. I don't think companies should be able to basically make up their own measurement for their earnings. That's what non-GAAP is. It doesn't adhere to generally accepted accounting principles. That's what gap is. So the question is, what it, what are their principles? This is something that happens a lot in the tech industry. I remember WeWork was, they had their own, which was like community adjusted earnings or cash flow or something. Basically stripped out all their expenses so the simple thing, gap's there for a reason. So that when you're judging earnings from one company to another, it's based on the same principles. Not based on the principles that some management team made up to make themselves look better, which happens all the time. Now they'll make excuses like, you know, we're just trying to give you a better view of whatever. But a real analyst, a real investor, is not going to really use PE anyway, right? We don't really use earnings per share that much anyway. I have many other metrics I can use to filter out the noise. 
from cash from operations to EBITDA to EBIT, return on invested capital, return on assets. There's a lot of other metrics to use that are that give more insight into the business than straight up P ratios. P ratios, frankly, they're old and antiquated. And then when you throw in a made-up number like non-GAAP, makes them even more useless. So hopefully that gives you a little perspective on our perspective for non-GAAP. Now let's touch on the economy. And we had the GDP number that came out on Friday for the fourth quarter. And it came in slightly better than expected at 2.9%. And a bit down, though, from the 3.2% in the third quarter. But if you look under the surface, it was kind of a mixed bag. Consumer spending was good, grew at 2.1%, but that was down from the 2.3% in the third quarter. If you look at, if you look at non-residential fixed private investment, so investment in industrial, basically, commercial properties, that was just at point. 7% rate. So basically stall speed. Residential investment fell 26.7%. That knocked 1.3% off of growth for the fourth quarter. Now there are a couple of volatile sectors or parts of the, the, the metric that helped GDP overall. First was inventories. Well, inventories shrank in the third quarter. They grew in the fourth quarter. And then trade was number two. Exports slipped in the fourth quarter, but imports declined even more because we shifted our spending back towards services, towards domestic spending. So the trade deficit actually added 0.6 percentage points to growth. The GDP or the uh, inventory build 1.5 percentage points to growth. Now, if you filter out the inventory swings, final sales to private domestic purchasers, so people that bought things here in the U.S., that was only up 0.2% on the annual rate. So kind of stall speed. Now, the bulls will say the job market was good because of the jobless claims numbers, but I say that's skewed as well. So you have to understand how these things are calculated. All these tech workers that are getting laid off, they're getting severance packages means, I wouldn't say all of them, the vast majority of them. But if you have a severance package, you can't file for unemployment. So I think that's actually going to tick up here once those severance packages go away. And exports, remember, exports are probably going to continue to get better, mainly because our dollar is getting cheaper. And that large amount of our exports to the rest of the world are actually in services. Think of banking services, for example. And home builders, not going to be as bad going forward as you saw in the fourth quarter. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that now at 888 chart Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. 
InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, this is Tomas Chavez calling from Tyler, Texas. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about Agoquin Power and Utilities Corporation, ticker symbol AQN. Uh, this company offered me some good money to go work for them as a civil engineer. And I'm looking to max out their employee stock purchase program. You know, I'm 30 years old, so this will kind of be a long-term uh, career hold for me. And if there's anything you could tell me about their finances, you know, I'd greatly appreciate it. I appreciate what you guys do. And I love the show and look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you. All right, looking at Algonquin Power and Utilities Company, AQN is a symbol, and this is a Canadian utility company that's focused on clean energy, renewable energy. And it looks like, okay, so that does have some customers here in the US, but they are headquartered in Ontario, Canada. They've fallen dramatically from the mid uh, mid to high teens back in 2021, now trading at $7.18. And that's because earnings are expected to go from 71 cents in 2021 to 68 cents last year, down to 61 cents this year. And they have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. And that's the big issue is, you know, are they going to be able to sustain that debt? You know, a lot of these renewable projects are not well sustained without a lot of government support. Now, I don't think the government's going to pull support for companies like this or uh, a lot of their projects. This is a complicated one because you really have to dig into the details of their projects and why their debt is so high. Um, I will say, if you're buying it, you're buying it at a fairly cheap price compared to what it's paying before, but it's still expensive. Its price-sales ratio was very high close to six. Now it's at 1.8. Uh, it does pay a high dividend, but I don't think a dividend is sustainable. So hopefully they cut their dividend. That's what they need to do. They need to cut their dividend and they needed to just pay down debt because they have so much debt in their balance sheet. So whether you should go work for them or not, you know, I, I can't really tell you that, but I will say this isn't your typical utility company that is safe. Like most utility companies are highly regulated. They have very balanced debt profiles. They have a, a long history of paying out a consistent dividend and, and, and having consistent profitability. Algonquin Power and Utilities does not. Okay. So I worry about the, the recent past uh, with the business. But maybe an opportunity to get in. Maybe it's just a mean reversion long term. So uh, I would probably take the opportunity and, and take the risk and try to get in on those shares at a relatively low price compared to history. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart. We have oh, a couple more minutes, but I want to get to the banks and what the banks are saying. And the regional lenders and credit card companies are making more money on higher interest rates on loan balances, but they're also setting aside money for loan loss reserves. And that means that it's going to flow through to earnings. Remember, this is a unique wrinkle in the banking industry when it comes to earnings per share. Another reason why I don't love PE because there can be things like this is loan loss, loss reserves, which is basically the projection of what they think their default rate is going to be going forward. And now borrowers have put more money on credit cards 
And they're now they're chipping away at balances slower. And delinquency rates are also on the rise. And they've uh, they're approaching or at levels that we were pre-pandemic. Remember, I talked about this as being a mean reverting economy. That's what you're seeing in a lot of cases. A lot of people are looking at, oh, default rates are up X percent over last year. Yeah, but last year it was very, very low levels of defaults because people had so much money. PPP money and checks and, and all that. And so what you're really seeing is everything's going back to kind of the pre-pandemic. We were kind of in the similar type of economy. It was a very slow, blah type of economy. It wasn't growing fast. It wasn't shrinking dramatically. It was, depending on the way you looked at, look at it, it was kind of a stall speed economy. And that's where we're at again. Now, what part of the lending market is being hurt the most that is true stress? It's actually auto loans. And that goes back to, oh wait, auto loans were had the lowest delinquency rate. So what did banks do? They don't have the same type of tight lending standards over the last decade plus on that part of the market because they feel like that's safer. In reality, no, not necessarily. So you're seeing a continued mean reversion within the banking industry as well. Well, I'm Justin Klein. That completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review. We now cross the 49.3 million download mark. Thanks to you. And we're surely going to hit 50 million sometime next month. Independent thinking, shared success. This Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.